Uh, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, November the 10th, sponsored by 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about Jeff Long's future at the University of Arkansas, UAMS's grim outlook, the Highway Department versus Metro Plan, and the state Supreme Court's decision to stay the execution of Jack Gordon Green, and who knows, maybe some more. I'm joined as usual by Max Brantley. Hey. So last week, the Arkansas Razorback football team barely survived a Sunbolt team with one victory. This week, the UA Board of Trustees convened in North Little Rock, met in an executive session for several hours with UA Chancellor and System President while uh, UA Athletic Director Jeff Long sat outside. If the board came to some decision, it didn't reveal it, though. No. Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I think the truth to be. Okay, that's what we. This is the straight dirt. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I didn't make this up. This is based on talking to a lot of people, but of course, officially, nobody's saying anything. Uh, number one, I know for an absolute fact that there are several members of the board of trustees who want Jeff Long gone. Uh, they don't uh, respect his ability to pick head coaches, as evidenced by Brett Bielema. But they have other problems. Uh, he's uh, He kind of operates as an independent operator without answering to anyone. They don't like that very much. Uh, they still have some simmering resentment, even though they approved it to the stadium expansion project. A lot, a lot of various things. In, in any event, they want them gone. And there was thought going into the meeting that they had enough votes, well enough votes, to uh, force his ouster, but the the thinking is is that they met for a long time with Chancellor Joe Steinmetz. I think Steinmetz is open to a change in leadership of the athletic department, but that he thought, and a lot of people, perhaps Joseph Bob, uh, excuse me, Donald, Donald Bob at the president of the University of Arkansas system, thought that looking like the board was directly making changes in the athletic department of the football team would not present a good appearance. So they left the meeting, I think, with an understanding that uh, – uh, Steinmetz will oversee what the transition is going to be. And in due course, there will be a, a new athletic director, perhaps after Jeff Long has found another place to work. Uh, timing is important because, what, there are three games left in the football season. Yeah. And, you know, I think everybody thinks Bielema will coach out the rest of the year. A change at this point wouldn't accomplish much, I don't think. But then when you have to start looking for a new one, do you let Long do it? Is he gone? Is he there to do it? I think there's some probably some some assurances get, given to the board that the decision won't be left solely to, to long to make. Although we had a calamitous experience with uh, choosing a football coach by committee some years back that uh, wound us up with Houston Nutt instead of Tommy Tuberville at the last minute. So <laughs> your opinion on whether that was good or not is, of course, depends on that was, those were the golden years. What are you talking <laughs> yeah, no, about? Houston looks looks pretty good in retrospect. Who knew? Who knew? So anyway, so that's going on. But one of the things I learned today with an FOI request was, is contrary to what I'd been writing all along, and most everybody had, Jeff Long uh, got a new contract amendment in 2015, and he has a rollover provision in it. And it could be that he has five year, almost five years to run on his contract. So if 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 he is uh, 
asked to move on that'll cost almost five million dollars to get rid of him. So uh, they're on top of five million for Brett Bielema, but. You know, with TV contract money, they're just rolling in the dough now. Oh, yeah. N- not in the victories, but. Never never going to go away. But the interesting thing, by the way, the interesting thing I, I did learn today uh, on fairly good authority is is that Jeff Long had been going around lobbying members of the Board of Trustees to end the games in Little Rock once and for all, including the final SEC game that's scheduled next year. And there's some resistance to that. Uh, not universal. I mean, some want to keep a game here, some don't. But a very important person wants to keep a game in Little Rock, and that's Governor Asa Hutchinson. As you know, the state has taken over War Memorial Stadium, and he, he's got his Parks and Tourism Director, Kane Webb, is kind of overseeing the stadium, and they're real excited about bringing back the glory days of War Memorial. And so Hutchinson reportedly had Long in for a meeting and said, I want that game to continue. And I won't say the governor is more powerful than the athletic director of the University of Arkansas day in and day out. I'm not sure that's true. But apparently, Long at least decided at least one more year. And supposedly, Hutchinson uh, committed to come up with the money to do the wiring that's necessary to put those across the field, suspended cameras and digital wiring and a TV studio to be able to produce a football game there in the way the SEC likes to produce them for TV. The governor won't have to worry about gift money in the future. The legislature won't get the surplus anymore. He'll have some more money to spend. Although when I think about some people like Bart Hesser from Northwest Arkansas, if they hear the governor sending money to War Memorial Stadium instead of their part of the state, somebody might bust a gusset, as they say. <laughs> well, I mean, especially, I mean, even the people who, more right-minded folks might might uh, question I, the, the wisdom I, of spending I, that money for... I, I I know I'm a traitor to Little Rock, but I long ago thought they should play the games in Fayetteville. Yeah, they got seventy five thousand, seventy two thousand seats. It's just they can fill it. It's just uh, it makes sense in any number of ways. They can't invest the money you need to make War Memorial the kind of revenue producer Razorback Stadium is, and I'm not sure they could sell the seats there. And Jerry's World is replaced. Uh, War Memorial is the home away from home right, game, right? And, and, and the so, big recruiting yeah, game. Yes, so I, I don't know, but in any event, that's that's a higher pay grade than mine. Yeah. Uh, well, that was not all that happened at the UA board meeting. Uh, the board also discussed the grim financial health of UAMS. Yeah, and Leslie Peacock wrote a pretty good story for us that that needs more exposure. I mean, the, the first short fact that's worth knowing is is. In approving the budget for next year, they start by taking almost $40 million from reserves. I mean, they have a budget that's operating in the red that they're spending up their seed corn to operate. And you can't, eventually the reserves run out. Then what? And and there there's tremendous amount of uncertainty about what Medicaid funding is going to be in the future. Uh, the state of Arkansas simply beggars UAMS. It doesn't provide the level of support that other states do. I think Leslie included the figure of Mississippi spends $60 million and I think Arkansas spends $100 million, but all but 10 of that is, is dedicated Medicaid. to Medicaid. Right, right. They really only put $10 million in the med school, and Mississippi puts $100 million or something like that. And so and it's been that way for a long time, and the only real solution uh, for the med center is something at the Capitol, but there's there there are things working against them there, and not only the desire for tax cuts by the legislature on top of services, even for sick people, but there's, there's some interest still in trying to build a full 
Service Medical School in Northwest Arkansas, which I think is just nuts. And it has, from my point of view, has nothing to do with regionalism. This is a state that can't, we can't afford one medical school. Right. Much less two. And so, but in, in any event, that's that that's an undercurrent in the political world. And so I, I just, I think there's a problem and there's a whole lot more attention needs to be paid to it. And when the federal government is going to approve the waivers that Asa Hutchinson wants for Medicaid that will throw about 60,000 people off. And the, the mathematical fact is that UAMS treats a disproportionate number of poor people in Arkansas. It's the hospital of last resort for a lot of people. And inevitably, anything that cuts any of those programs is going to cut UAMS. They've been able to reduce their unpaid uh, services tremendously thanks to the Medicaid expansion, but they may lose a lot of ground. So that's just going to make the problem even worse. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table. Well, they're up and running with dinner Thursday through Saturday night. And not only dinner with a, you know, an interesting menu of specials and full dinner or small bites and sandwiches, just about everything, late open bar downtown. And, uh, you know, in a kind of refined setting with you got your high tables, your low tables, your banquette tables, your outdoor tables, patio pits, patio, and it's uh, it's really a just a, a pleasant place. Yeah, go check it out. You might see us there. Could be. Scott Bennett, director of the State Department of Transportation, has threatened to stop highway projects in Central Arkansas unless Metroplan, the regional planning agency, immediately approves the highway department's thirty crossing plan. Well, yeah, I mean. This is kind of more complicated than there's a lot of bureaucratic language nonsense, but that's that's long and short of it. In fact, not threatened to stop. They've already suspended bidding on four sort of small federally supported projects, and they say that there are these two plans, transportation plans that are under the control of Metroplan, where the feds won't pay the money unless the descriptions of highways in this area meet the description of what 30 crossing the interstate 30 widening project is going to be and there's still some people that are hoping the 30 project won't be as big a concrete disruptive ditch as it's likely to be although it's going to be terrible no matter what and would like to perhaps have it be not a new eight lane freeway but but a, a freeway with some other kind of configuration, I don't know. But and there, there's really no hurry because the environmental assessment hadn't been completed. There's almost certainly going to be a lawsuit filed against this project, which I, I don't know if it will or it won't succeed, but it certainly will add time to the timetable. And why the highway department, the highway department insists federal rules require it to do this. I, I, Tab Townsend, to his credit, the director of Metroplan says that's not true, so they don't need to do this now. The Federal Highway Administration so far has not said who's right about this. We've tried, and the Democrat Gazette has tried, and hadn't gotten an answer yet. But why, why the, you know, the highway department, they're just heavy-handed just because that's just what they do. That's just how they are, you know? And, and, that's, and that's, frankly, part of the reason I think there's some resistance to their project here is, is their attitude is, we'll tell you what's good for you. What you think is good for you, you're stupid and don't know any better. And it's, it's just insulting, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, it's good reporting on the Arkansas blog about that if you're interested. The Arkansas Supreme Court stayed the execution of Jack Gordon Green this week. Green was scheduled to be executed on Thursday. And a number of Arkansas legislators are not happy about it. No, they want to, you know, there's some bloodthirsty people in the legislature, and they want to kill some people. And, uh, 
you know, this guy's been on death row for a couple of decades, and he's guilty, and but he's pretty strange. I mean, I, I you know, I think outwardly and by the assessment of some mental health professionals, he's mentally disturbed and has become more so by years of solitary confinement in prison. Uh, I think, as I've said before, there's a good argument that there ought to be an independent assessment of him, not one made by the director of the prisons, who's a political appointee of the governor, who set the execution, which seems to be a conflict of interest. Can't be an independent arbiter under that circumstance. Uh, the the state argues that courts have considered lots of these issues before, and he's run out of string, and he ought to go. But I, I don't know what the difference with a with a little bit longer consideration is. I mean, I know the the family in this particular case would like to see him die, and is very upset that the execution was delayed. Uh, you know, they're they're always tough. The uh, uh, one interesting factor was is the Supreme Court again just did did this delay without explanation. It was a so-called per curiam order. It's five to two. Rhonda Wood and uh, Sean Womack again. They're the bloodthirstiest of the seven Supreme Court members, and they're just always for sort of vote fry them now, fry them quick kind of thing, or needle them quick. And uh, they want to move things along, but. I think the clear, they had done this in one case earlier, similar case earlier, and the Supreme Court precedent seems pretty clear where there's a question, a legitimate question about mental competency, you ought to have a hearing on it. Yeah, well, Bart Hester weighed in on uh, court intrigue a little bit. Well, right, right, right. Bart Hester raised something that happens to, happens to be true. Bart Hester is uh, related uh, by marriage to Karen Baker on the Supreme Court. That may be his source. I don't know. He's also tight with Rhonda Wood and Sean Womack, who's a former Republican senator like Hester is, but he said that Supreme Court just aren't even talking to each other. Well, it, tur- it turns out that he's kind of right. There, there's just, the Supreme Court is just, has a poisonous atmosphere. They, there's some members that curse other members. There's a report that one of them has been taping conference meetings surreptitiously. There's, they're just all mad at each other and trying to decide who's boss of who's going to be the boss of who. Well, apparently, as a result, sometime some months ago, they just stopped having the weekly conferences where they traditionally, and I think even by statute, meet to discuss how they're going to vote on cases and who's going to write the opinions and discuss whether it should go this way or that. And now they're just doing it all by email, which, you know, that's really sad. Number one. Even when you don't get, even I, who am sure I'm right on everything, <laughs> now and again will hear somebody say something, even somebody I don't like, and say, "Well, you know, that's a good point. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll consider that." You know, I think a little colloquy is a good thing. Yeah, but not at the Arkansas Supreme Court these days. So it was a, a big week for Democrats. Uh, pretty much swept the off-year election uh, around the country, big wins in Virginia and, oh, and New yeah. Jersey. Is this a, a harbinger of things well, to come? I'm not ready to say that. Tuesday was such a wonderful day. I mean, after such a grim year, depressing year. But it's true what the Republicans say. Democrats should have won Virginia, and they should have won uh, New Jersey, which they did. And it's not surprising that Maine voters, who are very poor like Arkansas, want the Medicaid expansion. Uh, It was wonderful that Virginia 
almost Democrats made up a 32-seat margin in the House of Delegates for Republicans, picked up 16 seats and drew dead even, including with the first Asian woman, the first Latina woman, and the first elected transgender in U.S. legislative history. Turns out there was one in Massachusetts, but, but she was outed. She wasn't elected as a transgender and then was defeated after she was outed. Right. And so these were all just kind of wonderful things. And, and I do think there were, I don't think, I don't think this necessarily signals a wave election next year, but it certainly offers some evidence that, that similar things could happen. I mean, the rise of women candidates, number one, uh, high unhappiness with Donald Trump triggered incredible voter turnout in Northern Virginia. That kind of thing could happen in select places elsewhere in the United States. New candidates, new blood made a difference. They elected a Democratic Socialist in in Virginia. Uh, They elected a number of candidates who beat established Republican gun nuts by saying, I'm for sensible gun safety. Not, you know, not for gun confiscation, but you know, some of these moms for sensible gun laws ran and said, you know, I'm just not going to be afraid. And they and they beat the, you know, the NRA poured a ton of money into the governor's race in Virginia. And the NRA got, I mean, was one of the biggest losers Tuesday. And so that's a good thing. Now, Arkansas is a state that the Arkansas polls show still is on balance favorable for Trump. Uh, we're the last to adopt any trend of any sort. I, I would not begin to say that there's a bright outlook for Arkansas. I mean, at the moment, the Democrats don't have a Democratic gubernatorial candidate, which they have to have to maintain party viability. They'll get somebody. There's some talk of some young up-and-comers just kind of falling on a grenade and running, somebody like Nate Looney or somebody, I don't know, but yeah. which which would be great. Uh, but, uh, but there are people, there's young, interesting, and I don't want to emphasize young. I mean, young to me is anybody younger than 60. So, but... but <laughs> But, uh, but you know, newcomer new faces, new, new faces. I mean, not you know, and a uh, uh, woman announced today in, in Bella Vista. There's a really bright woman who's announced they're going to have a contested Democratic primary in Fayetteville b- between two great candidates. Young guy, Air Force veteran, running down in Boxsite for a seat that's been held by one of the worst Republican legislators going. Uh, these people are popping up all over. They're kind of part of this resistance movement, part of the people that grew out of the women's march, part of the anti-Trump movement that said, I mean, you got to run, and you don't win unless you run. And that's what they did in Virginia. They contested nearly every House of Delegates seats. And, you know, the Republicans did that in Arkansas for a lot of years, and sometimes with bad candidates, and they got beat badly. But, you know, running... You might surprise, and you get out in some of these edge districts where there's sort of some purplish districts, and you get a new face who's energetic and talks a good game against one of these old troglodytes. I mean, a pretty good example is what happened where the transgender candidate beat beat a longtime member of the House of Delegates in Virginia. This guy was like a 10-term delegate or something, and he was homophobe-in-chief, he called himself. All he ran on was against gay marriage and four bathroom bills, against a trans, I mean, a, a very out transgender guy who talked about a congested highway in Northern Virginia and other and education and other local issues. I think it was a transgender woman. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they're all guys to me. But, yes, it is. Yeah. You can't say that. Well, I mean, guys are guys. I mean, guys. Oh, guys. Guys, uh, guys. You guys. Yeah, you guys is guys. Okay. But, yeah, it's, 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 she's a she. And, and the Republican opponent wouldn't deign 
the greatest moment of the election was a, a tweet that was put out by the defeated candidate's sister who said he wouldn't call her. She said, I'm sorry my brother lost, but he wouldn't call her a she. All he wanted to talk about were these stupid social issues. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that was that was one of the highlights. I mean, I just had so many things to hoot about Tuesday night. It was just a, a very happy time. But in any event, the winning candidate talked about issues, and the other guy beat up the usual social media stuff, played that old piano, and it didn't work. Uh, meanwhile, the required reading for the week was Jeffrey Tubin's uh, piece on Tom Cotton in the New Yorker. I think the thesis was this is what a uh, uh, sort of post-Trump Republican candidate, successful candidate looks like. Yeah, was, and that's kind of scary, yeah. you know. I, I mean, I we're I familiar mean, with God, and we've done profiles and read yeah. about him forever. But Tubin got access, and Cotton said some nutty, nutty things. Well, I mean, he he's Trump, but with a, with a Harvard degree, you know, and, and I mean, and more controlled, and not not crazy temperamentally, but. Just a cold fish, you know, and 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 Tubin. I mean, it was a pretty fair piece, and I expect Cotton on balance will think it's pretty good because he got plenty of exposure for his views, and and I mean, he's just been unapologetically the way he is since he's been a freshman in college, you know, a college newspaper columnist. But Tubin did note that although he may have improved some, that he's uh, he's not Mister Charisma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there is that. Yeah, we'll check that out if if we have a link on the blog and you can find it at New Yorker website as well. Uh, anything else we need to talk about, or should we move on to endorsements? Oh, was there anything? Well, I don't. There was a lot, but we've gone uh, our twenty minutes. That's that, that's that's enough. Okay. Well, what do you have to endorse? Do you mean to go first? Yeah, go first. Okay. Well, uh, on the. Keeping on the football theme, maybe my favorite person on Twitter is this guy named Bunky Perkins. I don't think that's his real name. Maybe it is. Um, who is a big Ole Miss fan but follows sports generally, especially SEC sports. I think he lives in Tulsa now, but he's definitely one of the funniest people on Twitter and and is obsessed with Houston Nut and so constantly tweets and makes jokes about Houston Nut. Anyway. You know, he he was writing all about the athletic situation in Arkansas. Maybe Houston will come back. He's ready. He's <laughs> re- I think I think Bunky Perkins suggested that he was he was waiting in the wings. Well, it's like but I mean, who knew those were the golden years? <laughs> I mean, that overtime game that they won against LSU was a, one of the greatest moments. I was there in LSU. You were there. Yeah, I was in an Irish bar in New York, pounding Stellas. I mean, I couldn't. <laughs> I had, there was a whole family having dinner, and I was, and they kept having these overtimes, and I was supposed to meet them, and I just couldn't leave. Oh no, I was at Miracle and Markham. Right? That was different. Yeah. Well, that was good. This yeah. this was that seven over yeah, however yeah. many overtime games in Baton Rouge it was unbelievable. But anyway. Okay. Did you think of something? Well, let me endorse Veterans Day. All right. Because people don't think about World War One very much, and I do. You know, it's a, it's a November the 11th because the armistice was signed on the 11th hour, the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 to end the war with Germany, and I don't think many people know that. They just think it's a day to go shopping at the department stores, but uh, I want to say I'm here because of Veterans Day, because of George and Mabel Mueller, who I uh, met during 
the wartime. Mabel, when the war ended, was in a, on a battlefield in France nursing the wounded wow. as, as an army nurse. George was in a hospital bed with influenza, with a huge influenza thing that hit that year and killed lots of people. He survived, and they had a child, and she had a child, and here I am. So I. So did Mabel nurse George to health? Well, he got he got well on his own with other army nurses, I guess. Oh, okay. They were they were different places, but uh, but anyway, I have a great picture of my grandmother in her nurse's cape and standing on a battlefield in France. Wow. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. It helps people find us and get the 42 bar and table. 42 bar and table. All right. Tell them we sent you. See you next week.